Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The chief medical officer says we're hoping for the best while preparing for the worst, as he says 11% of all COVID cases are estimated to be of the Omicron variant. Meanwhile, the UK says the new variant is becoming the dominant strain there. Here in the capital, it probably represents about 40% of the cases. By tomorrow, it'll be the majority of the cases and it's increasing the whole time. We'll take a look at what this latest news means with our panel. Also tonight, hauliers blockade Dublin port to protest against rising fuel prices. And later, how charities are faring in the run-up to a second pandemic Christmas. You can get in touch on Twitter with your comments and questions on hashtag TonightVMTV. hoping for the best while preparing for the worst. That's the stark words from the Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Tony Houlihan, tonight, as more cases of the Omicron variant have been discovered. Dr. Houlihan says that 11% of cases are estimated to be the new variant. Well, it comes after dire warnings from the UK with British Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying that Omicron is spreading rapidly there. Well, we can get the very latest with Neve Griffin, health reporter at the Irish Examiner. And Neve, to come to the situation um, here at home, what are we learning about the rise in the Omicron variant? Well, we heard this evening from uh, the chief medical officer, as you said, that it's now 11%, Claire, but that's up from just one, an estimate of just 1% last week. Um, so that's quite a high rise, even though they've only confirmed so far 18 cases, but they're expecting that, you know, confirmation as they do the whole, whole genome sequencing, that they will see a much higher number. And that is, as you say, quite worrying for us. And it, it feels, I suppose, a little bit like the, the rise of the Alpha variant this time last year. Uh, and the Minister for Health has announced tonight changes to the vaccine, the booster programme, meaning you'll be eligible to get it sooner than you think. Yes, some good news for people waiting for a booster. At the moment, there's a five-month wait for uh, people who had Pfizer, AstraZeneca or Moderna as their first dose, and that will be changing to just three months. And anyone who had the Jensen vaccine, that remains at a three-month uh, three gap. So very good news for people. They just have to count down that 90 days now, and there'll be appointments going out. Um, a new plan is being put together by the HSE, so in, uh, new appointments will go out, or you you can just contact a pharmacy if you're in one of the eligible groups. Tell us a little bit about booster numbers and where we're at now, because we did hear from government about this reluctance um, among people getting the booster jab. But then we, we've heard that numbers are relatively kind of consistently high in the last few weeks. So where are we at in terms of people who've got the jab and the targets the government's setting in the run up to Christmas? 
Well, the new, latest figures up to Sunday, Claire, show just over 1.2 million people have a booster. And the ECDC, they have a, a vaccine tracker and they have estimated that means we have about 21.6% of our population boosted, um, which mightn't sound that high, but it puts us in the top four in Europe because some of the other countries are significantly lower. So that would be, I suppose, the aim now, apparently from the new plan that we're going to see in the next few days is 1.5 million completed boosters by Christmas and the government whip Jack Chambers said today they're hoping to, to ramp up to about 300,000 vaccines per week and um, most of which would be boosters at this stage. Okay thank you very much for that update Neve Griffin health reporter with the Irish Examiner. Well joining me now in studio is Fianna Fáil TD Barry Cowan co-leader of the Social Democrats Catherine Murphy and Professor of Immunology at Maynooth University, Paul Moyna. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Uh, Paul, I'd like to start with you. 11% of all COVID cases, um, I guess that they sequenced, are now deemed to be of the Omicron variant. That's up from 1% a week ago. Does that figure surprise you? Not really. When you look at other countries, the, the doubling rate of this is really, really high. So in other countries, it doubles every two to three days. So in terms of sequencing, I think only 18 have been confirmed by sequencing. So when to do the PCR, one of the PCR methods that they actually use to detect three genes from the virus with the Omicron, one of those genes is missing. So it's sort of a proxy measure for the Omicron. So those estimates probably aren't too far wrong. Some of the other variants, like the Alpha variant, for example, is also missing this uh, gene. So most of them are going to turn out to be the Omicron. So we probably have around 500 cases today is, oh, is the reality. OK, so that 11% figure is from sort of a, a broader you know, that, that number, is, it's been flagged up as it may yeah. be that of the Omicron variant. And yeah. in terms of actual sequencing, we've 18 cases. And it's most, it's most likely those numbers will probably translate into four or 500, I would say, it, for, for today that are Omicron. Right, that's quite a high figure. Yeah, and the fact that the double, you know, the numbers get very scary very quickly because if the double every two to three days, suddenly, you know, 500 today in a week's time becomes like 4,000. That's just the scary thing about exponential growth. So, um, yeah, so now... We're probably overestimating that to a degree because you see very high transmission in local communities in certain localised areas. So we probably overestimate the growth rate. But again, I would expect within the next week it's going to become the dominant variant in the country. Yeah, well, right now the Delta variant is what's dominant. Um, uh, could it bypass immunity generated by Delta? Do we know that much about this variant yet? I think probably, Claire, it'll bypass some of the immunity. So some of the immunity that's mediated by antibodies. So when we're vaccinated, we generate two types of immunity. We create antibodies, generate antibodies. Antibodies protect us against infection. And then we also generate T cells. T cells are the cells that when we're infected by the virus, goes in and gets rid of the virus. In my view, it's going to be very difficult for the variant to bypass the second one, the T cells. That's what stops us from getting sick. And that's why we've seen all the vaccines so far. There are some breakthrough infections but the vaccines have done, still done a really good job in terms of protecting us against serious illness. And the reason is that it's very difficult for variants to bypass that second arm of the immune response, which are these T cells. And I think it'll be difficult for the Omicron variant to bypass that as well. But it may bypass the antibodies, which is probably the reason why we're seeing lots of infections. OK, um, those numbers, when you hear them, 11 percent, it's hard to kind of gauge because we're getting that figure of 18 cases, which doesn't sound like a huge amount, Barry Cowan. But when you're talking about, you know, it could be more like four or 500 cases today. Um, it's, it's worrying, isn't it, in the run up to Christmas? It is. It is. Uh, you know, we had began, begun to, to, to see stabilisation in hospitalisation, stabilisation in ICU. But that's with the Delta variant being the dominant variant. 
But as Paul said, you know, the, the scary thing about the, the Omicron, irrespective of the outstanding information that we wait on, we wait on, there will be a huge ramping up of cases. And the more cases you get, the more break through those T cells. So the more cases get into hospital, the greater the strain on the hospital. And you know, the, we've had a magnificent vaccination campaign. We've had a magnificent response in the form of our, our, our health workers. And they've been superhuman in their efforts to date. But now it's, it's a race to get ahead yeah, of the Omicron. The, the INMO so, have, have come out today and they're saying this is a nightmare before Christmas, what they're seeing in our hospitals at the moment. Yes. Um, I think we can have a little listen to Philney Hay and what she had to say. You cannot have a situation where over 500 people are in our acute hospitals. There's no beds for them. So they're in overcrowded spaces. Overcrowding creates the perfect environment for this um, virus to spread. The perfect environment for the, for the virus to spread. Um, when you look at it that way, and what, what the INMO and others are saying is, we need a kind of emergency response to this, like a we reopening do. of the private hospitals to look at what we can do, mitigation measures here. That might well be the case. And I think we await, we await this week, considered? we await this week the, the, the HSE plan to, 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 to ramp up and ratchet up the booster campaign together with uh, other uh, vaccination centres and so forth, as Jack Chambers said earlier, in the hope that you can reach 300,000 per week. But you're, you're quite right. You know, we, while we're hoping for the best, we have to prepare for the worst. And if that means having at our disposal the private facilities that were available at the time of the worst wave to date, well, they must be available at this time too. But as I said, we still await uh, a lot of the scientific knowledge and expertise that tells us how okay. this variant and what impact it has yes. on people's health. You're also awaiting decision-making around this, aren't we, Catherine Murphy? Do you think there is an, ur an urgency there? We, we hear what's happening in the UK. Do you think there's an urgency to our, our booster rollout? Do you think we're, we're, we're moving uh, with enough speed on this? I think that there has been a pattern of, of seeing and waiting until something happens and then, and then moving quickly when instead of anticipating it. I think that there has been that kind of a pattern uh, throughout. We saw that, for example, with uh, schools and HEPA filters, and now we're seeing a, a reversal of that position. Um, in terms of the boosters, we were quite slow to roll out the boosters. Now, I've got to say, the, the vaccination campaign was magnificent very well organised and it achieved very high levels of, of um, vaccination. But I think the boosters, we were slow to get off the mark with the boosters. What about this line now from government that they're, for, they're the fourth best, I think, in Europe in terms of yeah, roll, rolling out the yeah. vaccines? If it, just let like, Catherine finish there. The thing about it is that we've got to look at how we can mitigate. Uh, how, we've, we've also had the longest lockdowns and, and all the rest of us and we know what is, is likely to happen if we don't get ahead of this. So, Essentially, I would be less concerned about the, uh, where we are in, in particular rankings because that can change. Um, I would be concerned with how quickly we, we can roll out uh, these. And we've been told 300,000 uh, in, in, the, in the next week. It's from 1.2 million to 1.5 by, by, by next week, by Christmas. Like at the, at the 
top end of the vaccination programme, there were 400,000 uh, so done think, in a week. You think we Have we got capacity to go beyond that? I think we'd all agree okay. if we can do that, we should do that. OK, let's get... Um, the view from across the Irish Sea. Joining me from London is Darren McCaffrey, political editor at GB News. Uh, Darren, you're very welcome to the programme. A dramatic surge in cases there and all sorts of alarm bells ringing and a warning about what will happen within London specifically within the next 48 hours. Yeah, indeed, as you say, cases nationally have certainly been going up in the last couple of weeks or so. We've not seen a massive surge in terms of the absolute number of cases. But what we did hear from the health secretary today is actually there's a massive underestimation of the daily Omicron cases that we're seeing across the whole country. Officially, there's only only four and a half thousand, but they reckon there's around 200,000 daily cases of Omicron now in the UK every day. 200,000 daily infections. Here in London, we're looking at about 44% of infections of this new variant. We didn't even hear of this variant until a couple of weeks ago. It is likely to become the dominant variant in the capital within the next day or so, and potentially in the country by the end of the week or certainly into next week. So that is a sign of just how absolutely transmissible mm. this new variant is. It really does spread quite easily. I think the one thing the government are holding on to is that it does according to the early data out of South Africa, it does seem to be quite mild. And I have to say from an anecdotal basis of knowing lots of people who've caught coronavirus in the last week or so, they do tend to be younger, but the symptoms do on the whole tend to be mild. And I think that's what the government's hoping for, but clearly concern that that sheer number of cases will mean that in absolute terms, there will be more pressure on the NHS. Yeah, and there has been one death already confirmed to the Omicron variant, hasn't there? Is there a sense there that the, the virus is now in a critical new phase? Um, there's a big push to get the population boosted. They're hoping to boost a million people a day. Is that right, Aaron? Yeah, indeed. So on the, the death, it's always difficult to judge it with uh, coronavirus, not necessarily from coronavirus and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, but yeah, there is real concern that what we might see is very quickly a very sudden peak here in the UK uh, of cases, which, as I say, will lead to some more hospitalizations with at a time like in Ireland, where, you know, the health service is under an awful lot of strain as it is. In order to try and combat this, the government have really put an awful lot of emphasis on vaccination particularly here in England, Boris Johnson's under an awful lot of pressure not to introduce that many more restrictions. And so they're committing to trying to get everyone over the age of 18 to be offered a vaccine by the end of this year. In theory, that could mean a million vaccines a day. Again, from an anecdotal basis, I'm in my mid-30s. I went on the NHS website yesterday. I've managed to book an appointment for my booster jab tomorrow. So there definitely is a real ramping up. We saw queues outside vaccination centres uh, today. I don't know if it's going to get to a million a day. That seems quite an optimistic target mm. uh, from the government. But certainly there is a sense that they are uh, ramping up the vaccination process to try and deal uh, with this new variant. But Darren, of course, around all this, credibility in government is a big issue, isn't it? I mean, Boris Johnson is saying, um, don't do as I do, do as I say. And he's already receiving a backlash uh, from his own within his party who don't want any more restrictions and aren't happy about these new ones. Yeah, indeed, there's a big vote in the House of Commons uh, tomorrow only on Plan B, and that is essentially extending face masks into things like cinemas and theatres. But more controversially, of course, 
the introduction of vaccine passports, which have never been a play here in England up until now. It really only brings England into line with Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. But we're looking at the biggest rebellion that Boris Johnson has ever seen as Prime Minister, with maybe up to 70 Conservative MPs voting against it. I interviewed one today who equated it, this introduction of vaccine passports to what happened in Nazi Germany, uh, which was widely uh, criticised. Uh, there is anger on the backbenches about going down the route of vaccine passports. Many think they are ineffective. Yes, they might drive up vaccination rates to a large degree, but they don't really help to uh, subdue transmissibility. It is a big debate. It comes at a time, you're right, and pointed out that Boris Johnson is under an awful lot of political pressure, not just within his own party, but all those allegations about what may have happened in Downing Street in November and December last year, right, parties and tinsel and cheese and wine. And that means that Boris Johnson's in a difficult position. All I would say, though, Claire, finally, is that even irrespective of the UK government's messaging and the political fallout from that, at the end of the day, most British people are pretty sensible and they see that actually this new variant you know, is a is a danger to the UK. And actually, most people are now complying with the rules, okay. whether it's mask wearing or, or taking things sensibly and getting the booster shot. So I think in the end, the government messaging may be one thing, but people will will, will take the sensible approach. Because a big turnaround for people there. Um, thank you for that, Darren, um, from um, the UK. Well, now, the, the race to get boosted before Christmas is certainly on here and we're going to get more information about it, Paul, in the coming days about what the government plans to do. Do you share this urgency on getting the entire population um, boosted or do you believe that it should be a more targeted approach? I think so far, Claire, the targeted approach makes sense. So we've, we've targeted the most vulnerable and that makes complete sense uh, to me. I think boosting now is the best protection we have against Omicron because what boosting does is increases the amount of antibodies we have, our repertoire of antibodies. So it's the strange thing about the immune system. When you boost, you increase the diversity of antibodies to have the potential maybe to recognize variants that even currently don't exist. So boosters will certainly help in terms of minimizing um, infection. So I think that's a good thing. So we need to boost as many as possible, but especially the vulnerable. And I think we've done a good job in, in, in that sense so far in terms of those targeted populations. I mean, I, I mean, the thing about it is, are we in a position like with the vaccination programme that people said, you know, the, the vaccination was pushed so much that it was seen as being the silver bullet and it turned out not to be, that we could be in a similar situation, Barry, with the booster? Well, look, we can only go by the advices in the public health and the expertise and the scientific knowledge that's out there. And that says we have certain resistance with the vaccination programme and it has helped and assisted us to date. Now we need a booster uh, in order to be in a position to respond properly to the Omicron. And, you know, as Paul has said, you know, this, this, this government and the health service has responded effectively and professionally and very well yeah, to date. And it will do yeah, so again. And people about, need to be I sure of that. I want to ask you about the boosters because people don't generally, I, I don't, look, some people are, I'm hearing there from Darren saying, look, he was able to go online, he's in his mid-30s and booked to get a booster the next day. It's not that simple here, is it? And it's all a little bit chaotic at the moment. It hasn't yet been fully streamlined and yet the government are about to announce yeah. we're ramping all this up in the next few days. Well, in the first, there's 1.2 billion have been have received their booster. It is the fourth highest in Europe. We might want to disregard that fact, but it's staring us in the face, and that is a success in its own right. But yes, there is now a race against time because of the transmissibility of the disease as evidenced in other countries. 
and the, 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 the state is expected to ramp up and ratchet up the provisions in order to ensure that we get 300,000 a week, up to 400,000 a week. We've done it before and we can do it again. And I have every confidence in everybody that has been entrusted with that uh, responsibility that it will live up to that expectation. And people, as has been said by your, your, your guests from the UK and here in Ireland, recognise and appreciate what's expected of them too and have put their shoulder to the wheel because it's not only yourself you're helping and assisting, but it's those that might not have the same resistance as others are lucky to have. Yeah, I suppose it's just about resourcing all of this, isn't it really, it Catherine? I mean, yeah. the walk-in clinics were available for a couple of hours a day. We had people queuing for a, a couple yeah, of hours not, to get them and they didn't all in, get jobs. In 51-year-olds, 52-year-olds, it's, it's, it's a wider spread to yeah. encourage people to go there. And look, we'd rather not have to queue. But I've seen people queuing in South Africa for the right to vote for miles. Surely we can queue for an hour or two to get this. Catherine Murphy. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I've got the booster. I, I, I was in a very long, very good humoured queue. Um, and um, one of the things that I observed this a few weeks ago, I observed that there were, there were certainly less people in, uh, there were less cub cubicles um, operational, less people on the registration desks. And then, like I asked myself the question, are there less people available? And that may well be the case that there are less people available, but we should be bringing whoever we can into, uh, you know, you know, the army, for example, were evident the last time. I don't see them as dominant this time. Do you think um, it should be as simple as booking a PCR test, which yeah, you can do I, online, you can pick your centre and, and go along I, I, and there's availability? I, you see, I, I, think in a, I think in the effort, and it's very welcome there's going to be a plan, and, in it, and it's important because there's people, and I actually think, like, the vaccines are very good. The vaccines may not have stopped us getting COVID, but we can it see, helps, even yeah. with very large numbers, there aren't, you know, like January, the numbers that would end up in hospital. So I would be encouraging people to get the booster when they can. But I do think that um, you can, people really have to be able to kind of figure it out. Like, do they all go to the UCD one day or a City West the next day or the City Hall? I, I think how you organise it is very important. Well, wait, maybe, and I do think you have to have the numbers available to actually to, you know, to administer the, uh, uh, the vaccine. And GPs you and others to be in the Absolutely. loop instead and of the finding GPs out very last have, have done 80,000, 80, I think, in the last week. I would so. say as well, Claire, I think one group that should be prioritised is the group that got the Johnson & Johnson. Absolutely. So that, that was a single dose. Uh, and now it's been shown that, you know, if you get a second dose from Pfizer, this heterologous vaccination, it works really, really well. But you do get significant waning of immunity, not so much from serious illness, but from infection. So I think that's one group that certainly You'd should be prioritised. You'd wonder they be able to actually do that if they're trying to, yeah, you well, know, by, by targeting the, individual I think, I think the intentions were good. I think the intentions were good yeah. in terms of providing, you know, possibilities for walk-in centres and... In hindsight, you may say like an appointment system based on once you become eligible that you can go in and book. I think the intentions were good, mm -hmm. but um, and hopefully, you know, over the next week, as you said, Barry, yeah. a plan will, will be released in the coming days. Mm. Uh, I want to ask you, Paul, just because we're actually sort of seeing a stabilisation of cases now. We had, you know, running over 4,000 again today, but is herd immunity at all playing a, a little bit of a part here in, in the way the cases seem to be levelling out, at least, despite new variants, um, increased mixing and all of that. Yeah, I think that's to a degree. So even with the new vaccination and the boosters, you know, that will help in terms of minimising um, infection and giving us some protection. It's always going to be difficult now to get to herd immunity for a number of reasons. One is in terms of the antibodies produced in the bloodstream, they only last for maybe three or four months. So it's very difficult 
to maintain that level of protection. And then also when you see the arrival of new variants like the Omicron that can bypass some of that immunity from antibodies, that makes it much more difficult. So I think we're going to end up with this endemic phase where the virus is going to be here for a long, long time. And unfortunately, we do have to coexist with it. And, exactly. and that's the reality in terms of having to coexist with these respiratory that viruses. That phrase, uh, living with COVID. OK, my thanks to Paul Moyna. Barry and Catherine will join me again in part two, where we'll be looking at the fuel protests that blocked major roads in Dublin. So stay with us. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Now, anyone who has filled up their cars recently will know that the price of fuel is rising and shows no sign of slowing down. Well, today, hauliers took to the roads to protest just that. There was severe traffic disruption around Dublin Port for the day and surrounding areas. Well, here is some of what the protesters uh, told Virgin Media News. Have a listen. The plan would be to keep going, absolutely keep going, and snowball into uh, far greater than it is now. That's, that's, that would be our hopes and goals. But yes, we hope that they would listen. You know, they have to listen to the hardships that people are going through, truckers especially. Uh, yeah, sure, it is an inconvenience, but at the end of the day, we're not just fighting for the transport industry, we're fighting for everyone that has increased fuel costs. There has to be a future. Like, we have to stay going, like. Like, I have a mortgage, but say I have three or four employees, and it's just getting harder and harder and harder. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's not fair. You know, like, it's, it's tough, you know. So we have to do something. Well, I'm joined once again by Fianna Fáil TD Barry Cowan and co-leader of the Social Democrats, Catherine Murphy. I'm also joined by journalist Geraldine Herbert. And uh, Ger, just to listen to a little bit of what the hauliers had to say there today, a lot of people, of course, not happy about that protest. And the official hauliers group say it's nothing to do with us. And it's the second time They've gone on these protests, they say, because they need the government to do something about it. Not just speaking for truckers, but for everyone who's pay paying increased prices at the pump. Um, wh what do you say to that? Is there something the government ca can do? 
Well, I mean, there's, there's two ways to bring the price of fuel down, Claire. Either, you know, oil prices come down and we don't see any indications that that's going to happen. Supply and is, you know, is outperforming demand at the moment. Our demand is it's just not, the, the demand is there and the supply is not there. And it's not likely to get up to sort of pre-pandemic supply levels until the end of next year. The other is tax, though. I mean, 60% of what we pay at the pumps is tax. It goes directly to the government. So there is a discretion there by the government. They do have, you know the capacity to actually alter the fuel prices. So, I mean, there are, that is something they could do. But there's also the diesel rebate scheme. Now, this is a scheme that's supposed to respond to these sort of crises for, you know, for in fuel for hauliers. Mm. That could be scaled up, you know, even in the short term, just to allow for, for this situation at the moment. So, I mean, while I, I don't particularly think protests at this time of the year when this business has been severely impacted that have been impacted already quite badly throughout the year, but you would have to have sympathy for the hauliers. I mean, they're in a really difficult position at the moment. Yeah, um, you know, wondering on this one, um, Barry Cowan, I mean, the government haven't done anything about the, the price of fuel here. 60% of it is in taxes. We, we've among the highest um, tax rates around our fuel um, in Europe. So we can actually do something about this, can't we? You know, the rebate scheme was mentioned and there was some improvements in that in the last budget, but it hasn't obviously kept pace with the huge increase in prices. And it all relates back to production and distribution, global market forces um, and so forth. But I do, of course, recognise and appreciate the terrible vista that has been visited on this sector with such increases. And as your, some of your contributors at the protest today mentioned, the high cost of insurance, the cost of labour... And when you look then at the, the cost of fuel, you look at the pandemic, you look at transition costs in relation to expectations in relation to emissions, it, it all combines to be almost a perfect storm for them. Then when you look at the farming sector, they have issues around input costs, fertiliser costs going up recently, transition costs too to meet the demands that's been placed upon them in relation to emissions and Brexit and the okay. pandemic on top. So, but, but they have a support system in place so by, means of the, is, by means of the cap. Should the government be doing something? Yeah, well, that's what I'm getting to. I'm saying in relation okay. to farming, for example, the CAP is there and there are provisions within that and improvements within that Specifically that on the price of laid the out. Then you see the hospitality sector and the problems that they have. And again, packages been put in place for them. So yes, there is potential for the government to look at a, a, a series of measures that might help and assist like that what? sector. What I'm saying in relation to an increase in relation to the diesel rebate scheme that has been mentioned, um, there's, there's also help and assistance in relation to transition costs associated. What's, what are they? Well, uh, you know, there's an expectation, for example, being placed upon that sector to move their, 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 their source of fuel. But that, that, that's not feasible at present no. in relation to costs associated with that. I mean, but I'm saying that the, the, the government has looked at other sectors, has helped and assisted them in the times associated with the pandemic and associated with Brexit. And maybe this is one sector where more improvements has to be made. OK, to cutting tax. Well, I'm looking at the rebate system because that's specifically for that sector to improve the tax rebate in relation to price as it moves in the direction it has done. The, 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 the caps that are there for the rebate system need okay. to be improved. Um, a change to the diesel rebate rebate system? Could this be a solution here? Or do you think that we're paying too much tax on a litre of petrol and diesel at, at the pump, Catherine? Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, the rebate scheme certainly is, I would certainly say that that, that would... That uh, could play uh, an important part because it would be targeted at that uh, at the particular sector and it's mainly you know trucks and diesel and that uh, that would be impacted by that it certainly wouldn't impact on for example the taxis where that it probably would be more dominant with petrol um 
And I completely acknowledge that there is an issue here um, that is not unique to Ireland, but it is very definitely affecting um, the incomes of the people we saw there today. Not sure that the, the, the you know, I'm not sure that they were targeting the right people in terms of the protests. Um, I think they've, they've, they've obviously impacted their own industry and yeah. indeed... But the fact uh, is we are paying more tax here than other countries in Europe, like yeah. 60%. The, um, of every litre, we're, we're paying a tax. Well, the biggest, the bigger the increase, the bigger the increase in the cost, the bigger the tax take there will be for government. So essentially, there is scope in that to make sure that there is uh, that, that things are targeted in terms of the current situation, at the very least, because we're. We're, we're, in a, we're in a crisis situation for, for this particular sector and we, we know full well how difficult it was to get people to, uh, to, to do deliveries um, and there'd been a shortage of supply and that obviously escalated um, uh, the wage costs for that particular industry as well. So I think that there, this industry is going to have to be looked at and indeed governments are engaging with the Road Haulage yeah. Association. I suppose um, it's just that it's, question, not just for hauliers but for, for everyone, not just diesel, but people who put petrol into their car as well, is the simple fact of the matter is, while there's, uh, I suppose, the Greens in government as well, it's something that, in terms of tax, the government are not going to budge on, Barry. Well, I mean, the elastic has gone as far as it'll go in relation to tax. What does that mean? What, what I mean, that you can't increase it anymore or it will tip it over the edge. But if you want but to, but, but there has to be targeted measures year, for it? different sectors rather than a wide-ranging uh, tax reduction in relation to diesel or in relation to fuel. And I think the, you know, as as, as Catherine alluded to, Hildegard Nocton, who was responsibility in this area, met with the Road Haulage Association last week. Mr. Ryan acknowledged uh, the comments that were made today and has agreed that government must address this issue and come forward with proposals to address okay. it. Okay. And uh, we expect then would accept them to do not to do otherwise. Right. Okay, Jer, um For. For people, now the push is obviously on to get electric cars on the road. Do you think the prices that we're seeing now and what people have to pay to fill up is prompting them to move to electric vehicles? Yeah, it's always very interesting that something like that makes people reconsider far quicker than, say, cheaper ESB or cheaper electric cars. Actually, when fuel go goes to a certain price, it makes people think, hang on, there has to be a better alternative to this. The problem we still have, though, is this big gulf between, you know, if you're driving a, a nine-year-old car, which is the average sort of age of Irish cars at the moment, trying to move to any new car, be it petrol, diesel or electric, is quite difficult. And electric cars are still, you know, the, the sticker price is still more expensive than the rest. So while people might have aspirations to do that, it's quite difficult for them to do that at the moment. And also the argument is there that the people who are paying the most um, at the pumps are people who don't have a choice really. Um, it's rural areas, you have to travel long journeys and you know if you want an electric vehicle fair enough but you don't have the alternatives in terms of yeah, well, transport or anything else. All these, all these things that have been promised, uh, they're not really there. Yeah, well, you know you have to do it in stages and the government and Minister Ryan has a responsibility to do that too. You can't go to the deluxe version straight away. You know, no more than, no more than bespoke is that what it is? heat retrofitting too. You know, you might do insulation first, which might be much more um, feasible, might be much more affordable, but could still make a 25% contribution to decarbonisation. It can still make a contribution to reduce your heating bill by 30%, irrespective of what that is presently. And in relation to cars, I think you have to look at uh, ways in which you can transfer your existing car from a diesel model or from a petrol model to an electric model. And there is a lot of um, research and innovation cheap. in that area. But the more research and innovation that is sponsored, 
uh, would, would make that cheaper. And it's something we should look, look somebody, to achieve in somebody the Somebody that can go out and buy an electric vehicle tomorrow is not going to have trouble paying to fill up their, their car. Um, it's, it's, it's like that nine-year-old car. Like, you know, it's, it, it, there's a good degree of planning in, in doing that for any mm. household in terms, of, in terms of the cost. There's an availability issue as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think that's going to be something that's going to be a quick solution, although I think it, it certainly has to happen. Um, and we've got to give people public transport options yeah. as well. But those who can't afford uh, it, know. of course, bear, bearing the brunt, as you say. Um, I just want to... Uh, look at the electricity bills and the mm. discount that's being offered in the new year. Uh, the Taoiseach has denied Barry Cowan that it's a gimmick. €100 Euro off for every household in their bill, um, no matter what the circumstances. Do you think it's a gimmick? Look, I think you can't disregard an effort that has been made on the part of the government to ease the burden on households who have been hit with massive increases in recent times. However, unless we confront many of the issues that are at play here, you'll be doing that every year for the next number of years. What I mean there is that there's an expectation on Airgrid to implement government policy. As I said in the Dáil recently, I don't believe they've done so in the manner in which the, the, we expected or would have wanted them to do. And that is because there isn't enough competition in the wholesale electricity market which would determine better value for consumers. And that's shown this again... Is, this is that we have, you're saying, the ESB running the majority of power plants or that there's been a te temporary shutdown yeah, well, I've of, been saying of the power Dáil, plants by I've independent been operators? Dáil, I've been saying in the Dáil recent weeks and showing examples as to give credence to what I've just said. And what I said recently was, in the case of Airgrid's uh, responsibility to encourage more competition, to have various auctions and tender procedures. In 2016, for example, there was four different tenders for different renewable projects. ESB won four of them, all right, amounting to about 430 megawatts, which is half of what was closed down in, in Lanesborough and Channel Bridge last year, okay? Four years later, they said they could not go ahead with those projects. So, but, and they paid a penalty for not doing so. But the national grid lost that entrance onto the grid. To, it lost that competition. It remains challenged. The price remains high. And we've seen in recent times, again, I said this in the Dáil. I don't want to compromise anybody because I'm saying it. I'm only repeating what I said in the Dáil. There was an emergency power request made by Airgrid for in, in, in the open market earlier this year. ESB again made an application and ESB was paid a okay. down payment of 10 million before the process was complete okay. because it was challenged in the High Court. And it all just goes to show that I think it's necessary for government to confront the problems at hand here, to look at the means and methods that are not being relayed by Airgrid to improve the wholesale electricity market, which has gone up tenfold yes. in this country I, in one year when international gas prices have only gone up three or four hundred percent. Catherine Murphy, are we throwing 170 million euro at a problem without actually looking at the cause of the problem? Yeah, I think that there's no doubt that there needs to be a targeted approach. Um, for example, I'm wondering with people who can't, you know, people who are, who are using a meter, will they be included? Will people who have uh, their, their, their electricity included in their rent, for example, will they be included? Our because households. they don't get individual bills in either, in either case. And you're looking at giving that relief to people who don't need it. So you're saying um, everyone shouldn't get it? Well, there has been it's, targeted measures already in the yeah, budget, as you know, for those I, I know, I, I, I know, I know, I know that, have, but that. they, ha do, but do, they do haven't, they haven't been it? enough. For example, uh, uh, the 
the rate of inflation is 5%. We know our cost of living is a really serious problem. Um, and the amount that was given, for example, by way of social welfare increases and the pension that people will get, um, in, in actual fact, only keeps pace with inflation. So there wasn't, uh, there wasn't, a, a, there wasn't a, an increase in real terms. And at the same time, people are you know, experiencing huge prices in terms of increases in bills, whether it's food, so whether it's fuel. Should people get that 100 euro discount in their bills next year? It's, I, I, I believe it should be targeted as opposed okay. to the, indi I would say, at, I would as say to the individual, but much wider than fine. people who get the, for example, much wider than people get, that get currently get the fuel allowance. There are things like, for yeah. example, the, one family, uh, the working family payment. I, there, it can be targeted. Catherine, it's fine in the short term, there's no problem, but it still doesn't address okay. the bigger issue that uh, I've mentioned, the, the, the air grid and the CRU, I, I, I an energy regulator. I don't dispute that. An energy regulator. Don't dispute that. Who, who, yeah. who, whom is not doing the job okay. he's expected ESB of him. Will, will and the government that. cannot the ESB will counter that and say, you know, it's all down to surging gas prices on world markets. And, yes, no you know, problem. That, it's that's not 400%, but not tenfold. More than half the electricity. And there isn't is. enough competition on this grid. There isn't enough entrance. And there's an association was set up representing many of those companies you mentioned, like Prepay, Panda, all those mm. who agree with the sentiment I've been expressing in the Dáil. And I'm only calling on Minister Ryan to have an, a microscopic look at the value and that we're getting from Airgrid or right. not, and also to see the regulator, who can't be allowed to stand idly by. That happened one time before in relation to financial regulator, and we paid a very heavy price for it, and I don't want to see the same thing happening in relation to the provision of electricity. OK, well, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Barry Cowan, Catherine Murphy and Geraldine Herbert. Lots more coming up after this break. We'll be discussing how the charity sector will be coping this Christmas. Welcome back. Now, for a lot of us, the run-up to Christmas is a time of excitement, but not for everyone. For some, it's a time of trepidation and worry. St Vincent de Paul says by the end of December, 200,000 people will have contacted them. Well, let's speak to Ben Doyle, the South East Regional President of St Vincent de Paul. I'm also joined in studio by author and journalist Valerie Cox. Um, but I'm going to go to you first, Ben. Um, that number, 200,000 people... It's an awful lot of people who found themselves in very, very difficult situations at a time of year when so many are celebrating, having fun and talking about all they're going to do. And then for two, at least 200,000 others that are contacting you, it's a really challenging and worrying time, isn't it? I have no sound here. Great. OK, we'll come back to you in a second, Ben, just on that point. Um, but Valerie Cox... You know, when you hear those numbers from St. Vincent de Paul, 200,000 people contacting them, many more won't make that phone call and are living in, in, in pretty, you know, difficult circumstances in the run-up to Christmas. Yeah. So much going on with the pandemic as well, job insecurity, stability and all of that. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, we, we're facing into a very difficult Christmas and for people who are on the breadline, literally, and have to go to St. Vincent de Paul or other charities for help, it's extremely difficult because that is the last step. People have their dignity. They will hold on for as long as they possibly can. And, you know, it's very hard for people to turn around and say, I need help. But Vincent de Paul and all the charities want people to do this, to say, yes, I do need help. Let us come and help you. Let's see what we can 
do. And in many areas, I mean, all over Ireland, we have a wonderful community network. People are good, people are kind. You'll see them out with collection tins. You'll see them out around the Christmas trees collecting goods. And this particular week is crucial for all of the charities, particularly those who are trying to put a Christmas dinner on the table, toys for the kids, all of that. Because there are families, Claire, and people don't really believe this. There are families who can't do that. There are kids who may not get presents unless something like Vincent de Paul steps in. And there are families who can't put a Christmas dinner on the table. I mean, I'm also thinking of Brother Kevin down the Capuchin Day Centre. And, you know, they give out hundreds of thousands of packs for Christmas dinner. There's huge poverty in Ireland. It's like we have two countries and one side maybe doesn't really know yeah, about the other. It's exactly that, isn't it? Um, and the two don't collide very often. Um, ben, I want to bring you um, back in on this, if you can hear us there. Um, that figure, as you say, of a couple of hundred thousand people making calls to you um, by the end of this year, that's an awful lot of worried people out there. Uh, primarily, is it, is it families who need a little bit of extra or are they looking for? What, what, do, what do they need? What sort of support are they looking for from St Vincent de Paul in the run-up to Christmas? This time of the year is very busy for all of us. Some of the calls have started to come in as early as late October. And basically, they just need a hand and a lift up over Christmas. We're dealing with families who both, both parents are out working and Christmas time is a stressful time on them. And they just basically don't have the money to get them over Christmas. And this is where our volunteers in SVP can help, wants to come forward and seek out our help. And we're there to help. The public entrusts us with the money to help. And we're one of the privileged um, charitable organisations in Ireland that can actually go visit people in their homes. But at the moment, due to COVID, we're restricted to that. But we're still carrying out our work over the phone and we're getting the work done. And every call that's made to SVP is answered. People will be struck by what you said there. Um, you know, both parents working and still having to contact St. Vincent de Paul because Christmas is a very difficult time for them. Both parents are out working, Claire, and we found they're paying their way, they're paying their bills, they don't owe nothing to nobody. An unexpected bill or something unexpected, car breaks down, Christmas comes every year, but people just cannot budget for it because they're paying their way um, every week of the year. And this is where we love, it's the busiest time of the year for us, and every one of our volunteers just love it. We love to be able to help those most in need. Is there a stigma around asking for help, do you think, Ben? There's a massive stigma. And I would have seen my own parents who would have reared seven children. Times wouldn't have been easy then. I would have put two children to college. And I often talk about, you'd see him off going off on the bus on a Sunday evening and he'd actually be handing him over your last 50 euro. Yeah. But the way I looked at it is, I'd rather be doing it out back in Wexford and seeing both kids up in Dublin struggling. And there's still a massive stigma. And there shouldn't be because if the work that we do is private and confidential. We don't discuss it with anybody. 
um, it's private and so confidential people, between the person that, yeah. that it rings in. And people should be able to reach out for help and feel comfortable in doing so. Um, Valerie, would you find that as well, especially among older people, maybe they don't want to, yeah. they don't want to say to the neighbours, they don't want to necessarily say it to their friends that I'm finding it really tough going and I don't have no, much they now. Don't. I mean, they're going to hold on as long as they can. And there's lots of older people out there who are choosing, say, between heating the house and food. And can I just say, on that 100 euro that's coming to people for their electricity bills, if I hear another person say, oh, we don't need it, why are they doing it? Let's have a means test. No, no, no. That 100 euro is going to be a lifeline for people come springtime, for many, many people who really cannot afford heat and power and electricity. It's going to be a lifeline for them. And if you don't want it and you don't need it, give it away. Give a donation of 100 euro to charity, but stop going on about it because what you're actually doing is poverty shaming people who do need it. Okay, I, yeah, that's a good point. I suppose by giving it to everyone, then there isn't that, that stigma that's attached exactly. to it. What would be your advice to people um, in the run-up to Christmas then to, to, to look out for people who are older, more vulnerable yeah. and in need of help? You're right, Claire, because um, I was listening to Sean Moynihan there from Alone and he was talking about the silent epidemic of loneliness and isolation at Christmas. This is very difficult. And this year particularly, because a lot of families, a lot of older people living on their own, their children are abroad. They can't get home. They've got big families. They don't want to visit. They're afraid of giving COVID to somebody. There's all of these considerations this year. Now, having said that, you've got to be careful about how you go about helping somebody because it's not a grab a granny exercise where you take her home, take selfies around the Christmas tree and stick them up on Facebook. This is not what we're talking about. It's about a basic kindness, you know, of giving people living alone the opportunity to join in your Christmas if they want to. And they may not want to. I mean, if you haven't spoken to your elderly living alone neighbour for a year, they might think it's a bit dodgy if you come out with an invitation. So I think what you should do is look out for them, approach them and offer them a coffee. Would you like to come in for a coffee or a drink? Okay. Can I help you with your Christmas shopping? And then build it up from there. But it has to be on their terms. But it is a wonderful thing to do. It's a really basic kindness. And we should all be out there having okay. a little look around. Great advice, as always, Valerie, in which to leave the show. My thanks to Ben Doyle and Valerie Cox, who's joined me in studio. That is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. But from all the late team here, Good night, take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.